So, Indivisible DFW, what's it about? Like, I assume that this started pretty recently, judging by the name. Like, the whole idea of the Indivisible thing. I mean, it's been a word for a long time, but word used in this context is pretty recent, right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Um, Most of the Indivisible groups uh, started within the last three months. Um, The original guide, the Indivisible guide, was written, uh, was released back in December. Uh, Sure. It was a group of uh, Doggett uh, staffers in Austin that uh, wrote the original guide and dispersed it. And and the interesting thing about the Indivisible guide is that it initially was supposed to be a resource for existing groups. So when it took off, mainly because they picked a really good name, um, everybody was surprised. And I remember in those early days, which again, it's like three months ago, back yeah. in January. I don't think you're allowed to call any of it early days yet. <laughs> well, I think for a lot of us who've been active for the last three months, it feels like it's been a lot longer than that. Um, but yeah, no, I think for everyone, uh, like everyone who's interested in politics, it feels like all of this is dragging a bit. Well, you know, that's been a struggle, I think, uh, to... You know, with all of the things that are happening and all the challenges um, to, to keep that energy up, but the energy has not diminished like I would have expected. Um, I think that was a concern that a lot of people had. But, um, you know, when we when we first started, a lot of the, the groups as they exist now were just Twitter handles. Um, so, sure, you know, we, <laughs> with the Indivisible DFW group, uh, we just connected, I quick connected with a few people on Twitter and uh, we decided we wanted to have a meeting. And so we had our meeting, um, I think it was January 17th. It was right before the, the Women's March. And the Women's March was really our first event, uh, the Dallas Women's March. Um, you know, we helped to, to organize and then um, we participated. And it, they, they actually, that, that Women's March was a good example um, because uh, Dallas didn't have one until a week beforehand. It wasn't planned. It was, everybody was heading down to Austin or there was a Denton one that was planned a while before. And so a week beforehand, a group got together with Representative Victoria Niave, and they put it together, and then 10,000 people showed up. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so what, like, concretely, is, is, is the organization pretty much just, like, uh, you talking with people on Twitter, or, like, you said you had a meeting. Is it, do you, do you have, like, regular meetings? Um, what, and when you have these meetings, what do you talk about? Like, I assume it's probably something more than just, like, everyone showing up and agreeing, like, Donald Trump's not doing a good job. Uh, but what, what, is it, what does it look like? So our first meeting back in January, we had about 100 people show up, and that was, like, throughout the region. So it was still early because meetings back then were a little bit tougher. Um, and now there are... Um, about 15,000 people total uh, within all of the groups in North Texas. There are groups in, uh, there are many groups in Dallas, you know, several thousand people worth of uh, groups in Dallas. And then, you know, in Fort Worth, we, we consider our group covering everything from Parker County to Rockwall County. Um, so within that, that network is about 15,000 people. And each group has their meetings now because if you have a DFW-wide meeting, um, when they had theirs in Austin, their, their first meeting in Austin about a month and a half ago, um, they had, um, I think, uh, fifteen hundred people show up. Um, wow! And yeah, that, so so now if you if you try to do a meeting, um, it's a bit of a challenge just because you have so many people. Yeah, you uh, need to rent out Jaxa or something. I don't know that you have the funds for that. No, that's uh, that's a that's a challenge. We we did uh, rent space for our first rally, uh, which was about a month and a half ago. It was the same time called the Rally for Texas. We had it in Rockwall. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, we had to, to get a bunch of people together. Actually, we, we had some support from Lawyers for America. Um, Chris Hamilton uh, helped us out with that. And yeah, that, that's what you do, right? Yeah, that's right. And I, I actually wanted to add a little bit on the indivisible front. Sure. So part of this, and I think Jay um, mentioned this, but it, it's mobilizing folks and, and getting people to show up. But uh, the, the playbook um, really had been taken from from the Tea Party. And so the idea is to show up at local elections and, and, and disrupt. So make sure that your voice is heard. And so even at, at, in the small elections, town halls, you show up, you let the representative know that you're not happy and you get some momentum at the local level, and then it pushes upward. And I, and I think that, that at least in North Texas, the individual groups have been doing a great job. Yeah, that's, and that's something that, um, you know, has really energized people is, you know, honestly knowing that, you know, this stuff is possible. Because right now in Texas, uh, in a lot of ways, we're a, we're a one-party state. And it it has really diminished enthusiasm for a long time uh, because you know people don't see an opportunity for real change. Um, Victoria, when she won uh, her district, House District one one hundred seven, um, it was a really really hard race, and she still she won by eight hundred votes, um, something around eight hundred votes. Um, like she put everything she could. She actually I think she said she wore out uh, twelve pairs of shoes throughout the campaign, um, and that's really what it takes in a lot of these districts. You have to put in that kind of effort. Um, and that's what's getting people excited right now in the indivisible movement, um, and also in you know groups like Lawyers for America. Not to at all discount her effort, but I think that that would probably just mainly take having different standards about when a pair of shoes is worn out, right? <laughs> like I have pairs that are ten years old, and like I've been walking on the whole time. Like I, I, I think that if it me, might have been like three pairs of shoes. Well, okay, but but do you have like big gaping holes in the soles of those shoes? Like yeah. Okay. <laughs> and duct tape takes you pretty far. Okay. Huh? Okay. No, no, I get it, man. I get it. Man. We all have to have, <laughs> we have different standards. I guess. I mean, I just don't have time to shop. It's a, you know, whatever. That's she shopping not is also pretty miserable. Um. So do you guys like, I, I, I certainly understand your general purpose, but as far as like getting down to specifics, like it, it, I, I, it's my understanding you have some desire as you're kind of laying out to be involved in just about every level. Is that accurate? Yeah, no, that's, that's completely accurate. And then like, is, is there a particular focus in uh, one way on like certain issues? Like what, to what degree are you uh, zeroed in on something? Well, you know, so we, Does that we, make um, sense? Is that a no, specific enough question? Makes sense because okay. the, the, the struggle that, you know, activists have like new activists is keeping that focus. So, you know, it's, you can't do everything. Uh, you can't fix everything. There's a lot that needs to be fixed and you can't do it all. Um, so, you know, our focus right now, we have, we have organizing principles. Um, we have two of them and one of them, um, basically just lays out that it's the duty of, uh, of every American to resist the Trump agenda, uh, as it's bad for America and also resist anyone who supports the Trump agenda. So in Texas, that also means resisting um, the Republican Party because the Republican Party supports that agenda. Um, right now, you can also see the importance of that in things like uh, Senate Bill Four, which was passed by the um, by the House, um, and that was a party line vote. The only Republican who didn't vote for SB Four uh, was Speaker Joe Strauss. Uh, every other pro- Republican supported it, and the struggle we have right now is when you have things like that that are clearly unconstitutional. Um, the courts actually on Tuesday, uh, the Ninth Circuit 
ruled that uh, Trump's executive order um, could not be enforced and was likely unconstitutional. Um, we are we know that this is going to be struck down. We know it's going to be challenged immediately as soon as the governor signs it. So what is the goal of the Republican caucus? And that's where the importance of, of getting involved in those state-level races, too. Uh, that's why it's important. Now, when you talk about our goals, um, they have to be more focused. Uh, and that's the struggle that all of the indivisible groups across North Texas have. So right now what's happening in a lot of places is you're shifting from resistance to active, positive change. And that means an electoral focus. A lot of groups have been organizing um, registration drives, voter registration drives, and um, doing other things like with these local elections, getting experience, block walking. They've been, a lot of groups have been organizing their own block walks. Uh, Indivisible DFW is actually doing a block walk uh, on Sunday, um, which uh, Sunday the 20 or the 30th, uh, which is um, in support of uh, Councilman Philip Kingston. Um, because, you know, at all levels, we have to think about how we can make, uh, make positive change. Sure. So uh, before we move too far from uh, you just mentioning SB4, um, I think that it would probably be helpful if you would just, I mean, that's, that's something been in a certain portion of the news a lot lately, and I guess you might not download this podcast if you weren't already like well aware of it, but I part of my goal is to like be accessible to people who can't like, you know, read every bit of the news and may have just seen a hashtag and not totally understood it. So could do you mind giving the background there? Yeah, so uh, SB4 passed the Senate. And just um, what so, SB4 yeah, is. What SB4 is, yeah. sorry. Uh, so SB4, they call it the Anti-Sanctuary, Sills, Anti-Sanctuary Cities Bill um, because it'll punish uh, law enforcement, municipal law enforcement that refuses to um, enforce uh, federal immigration law. Um, now, they also added an amendment into the House bill that requires um, officers to question uh, the immigration status of anyone they detain, um, which is an important change because it means that anybody who gets pulled over before they're charged with a crime, um, they can actually be um, their their immigration status can be can be questions, and that's a big change. Um, now it hasn't been um, it hasn't gone to the governor yet. It's not official yet. It's, there still has to be um, a, like the Senate and the bill have to have to bring their their two separate bills together because they're they're slightly different. Um, but basically, that means that the Texas House and the Texas Senate um, are going to require, um, uh, you know, Dallas police officers and the county sheriffs to enforce federal immigration law. Um, the, um, you know, Lupe Valdez, the, uh, the Dallas county sheriff, she came out against it. Um, sheriffs in all the major counties uh, came out against the police departments. Um, immigration, I mean, the officers... Texas has an incredible, uh, incredibly good rate of um, cooperation with federal immigration and customs enforcement. Um, it's actually considered to be one of the best relationships in the country. So the immigration authorities are here. They're enforcing the laws. So the way a lot of people are looking at it, the way I look at it, is why are you passing this? Why are you forcing uh, local police to do this? They, they have enough on their plates, especially here in Dallas where we are hemorrhaging police officers right now like they're leaving for san antonio because they're concerned about their 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 retirement mm-hmm. so we already are struggling to to meet the requirements now and adding that additional that's going to be a disaster for dallas county yeah and i guess i understand san antonio's desire to be safe and that's cool and everything but their efforts to recruit dallas officers seem really in poor taste 
Yeah, no, I I think it's it's terrible. It's yeah, we're gonna take advantage of your crisis. Basically, that's what San Antonio is doing right and now. And like quietly doing that, and you know, like telling your like saying, "Hey, if you have any friends in Dallas, let them know that we're you know open and happy and everything to accept their help." Um, you know, like that makes sense. But like running ads, just being like, you know, hey, leave Dallas now. Come here. We're way better. Uh, yeah, there's no decorum in it. Anyways. Um, yeah, no neighborliness from San Antonio. None at all. No. So in listening to your podcast, I noticed um, the certainly, uh, I don't think it's like been the recent episodes. You, you'll know better than I am, so correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but the, you had several guests on that were talking about the uh, proposed Trump Hotel here, right? Mm-hmm. Would you say that uh, I got a, a an accurate reading that that was like a pretty strong organizing issue for you at some point? Because it's is, is it at this point dead? Yes. So yeah, so um, uh, Mike Sarmsecki, who's the uh, who's the developer, said that they're not going to build a sign hotel. Uh, they're still moving forward with the hotel project, um, but it's not going to be a, it's not going to be a sign brand. Um, and you know, I think that was one where you got a good a good taste of what this type of grassroots organizing can do. Um, you know, I think that some things, some of the the efforts, like when we try to pressure Ted Cruz, um, that is, is, it's very hard to find an angle for grassroots organizers to pressure him in any way because he's already got his mind made up. You can talk to him, but, you know, there's not much. But when you look at something like that, you know, Dallas didn't want this Cyan Hotel. Um, and you know, ultimately all of the pressure that was brought, I mean, they did a New York times story on him, uh, right beforehand, um, got into the, uh, the morning news. Um, and there were protests, you know, that were at, at the site. Um, and he saw that it was just a bad look. Um, and I know from talking to, to people in his organization that it was the, it was the public pressure that changed his mind. Um, so that's a good example of what this can do. That's why it was a focus because we saw it as something that needed to be done and something that we could accomplish. So that's like, I'm very happy that there's not going to be a Trump hotel built in the the city where I live. I think it's good. I think it's a victory, but I do kind of look at that and say that I don't think it was anything close to the biggest, most like dangerous issue facing the city, state or nation. Um, you know, that like organizing against like, like if, and I know that there were people protesting this SB4 and that it didn't pass only because, like, the citizenry was meek about it. Like, I, I get that that was going on. But um, just, you know, that at least from listening to your podcast, I was under the impression that there was, like, a lot of fervor for people to, like, uh, do a lot to make sure this hotel didn't happen. And it's good, but, like, in terms of priorities, that's, like, not what I would put at the top of my list. So I just... I wonder one if you agree with that characterization, um, and two, how much do you, as an organization, feel compelled to worry about things like prioritizing what you're going to go after, or do you think that there's some value in just kind of figuring out what your members care about, and even if they care about something that you think, well, this is uh, not necessarily trivial, but headed towards there, um, but they seem to care about it a lot, so f it, let's uh, well, let's I give it that- to them. The the thing that we we always have to keep in mind is that you need you need victories, and 
on SB4, SB4 is a great example of a symbolic victory um, where, you know, the vote came in and it was 89 to, um, to 53, you know, it was, the vote was, was terrible. Um, We weren't able to get any Republicans to defect. Um, But at the same time, you know, Victoria Niave, she started a hunger strike on Sunday. Uh, She struck, she, she kept the fast going for, for four days through the vote. Actually, it was almost five days. Um, and people across the state joined her, um, and there was a there was a big uh, protest. There's actually you know, protests that are going on the next day too, um, to to show the state that that this is not acceptable. That the legislators are not reflective. They're not they're not legislating in a way that's reflective of their of the interests of their uh, their constituents. Um, and bringing attention to that, that's where the symbolic victory is. Now. Because we, we can't win on things like that because we don't have the votes, um, we also have to find things where, you know, that we can do. Um, you know, right now, things like that, we have the power to kill that. Um, we got the support of uh, uh, Councilman Kingston. We got the support of Adam Madrano. Um, we got support from, from the progressive wing of the, of the city council, and we got support from the community. You know, we got some business interests to come in and... Uh, and come out against against the scion, and you know that's the kind of thing where you're not going to with, with scion. Um, it's not the most pressing issue. Uh, SB four is going to hurt thousands of people across the state. That's got to be a priority. But when you think about what Trump is really trying to get out of his presidency, he's trying to grow his brand, and his brand means scion. So if he had a scion hotel here in Dallas, that would be a symbol that is not acceptable. That's a symbol of him putting down, a, a, putting on stakes in Dallas. And I mean, I, I know from talking to the developers team that it was, it's something that he's trying to do. He's trying to expand into Dallas. He doesn't have a foothold here right now. And the, that brand, Scion brand was his way of getting into the market. Okay. So I, I, I agree that it's not um, in terms of the scope of all the terrible things like, you know, the work that, uh, that was done at DFW airport um, to uh, to get the the folks that were uh, detained there out um, to support them, um, which is also work the lawyers for America was involved in. So that's something that Amanda could could also talk about. But you know that's the kind of stuff that that really needs to happen. That that's the kind of stuff that we need to focus on. But stuff like that, it's a great victory. Yeah, and and to Jay's point, I th- I think that the the branding really cannot be understated after after the election results to to have Dallas branded as a Trump city. Which is essentially, I think, what what people were outraged about. We want to be clear that that we don't, you know, we're not behind Trump. We're not, you know, supporting as a community, as the Dallas community, Trump or or the Trump brand. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I don't want that either. Um. <laughs> but I got to tell you, growing up, you know, I I come from a small town in in Central Texas, and and when when those folks see and re- read on the newspaper that there's the new Trump Hotel in Dallas, they're going to get really excited, or or they're going to learn a lesson when people show up and say, "Hey, you know, we're not about that." And so I think that true that there there are things that that are important and that we need to spend time on. But I really think that even if it is a branding issue, it, it's something that has an impact not just in Dallas but statewide. So. Uh, Jay, I know we were talking beforehand, and um, you said that you've moved to Dallas fairly recently. Yeah, uh, I've only actually been in Dallas since last fall. Um, I've been, I mean, it's seven, eight months now. Uh, what what brought you here? Um, well, so I 
for most of the last decade, I lived abroad. Um, I lived in Germany for the last six years, and then before that in Ukraine and Slovakia and Kazakhstan. And um, I honestly, I've been away from my family for a really long time. My parents live in Dallas. Okay. Um, so when I was looking to come back, my sisters live in Chicago. So my parents live in Dallas. And uh, when you compare Chicago and Dallas right now, it was a pretty easy choice. Really? So, yeah. I mean, I love Chicago. You don't need to say bad things about Chicago. Uh, I well, this is this is. Uh, is I'm on the no, indivisible. It's not. I mean, I <laughs> I love Chicago, but like it's a shrinking pie in Chicago, and like the political dynamics there are not going to get better. Um, it's kind of like the inverse of uh, of Texas. Like Texas is a one party state. Chicago is a one party state, and they got the same problems as a result. And you know, like. Rahm Emanuel has not had a good uh, <laughs> experience as mayor, but like nobody, if Obama had been elected mayor of Chicago, he would have struggled because it's just, it's so hard there. And um, Dallas is growing. DFW is the fastest growing metropolitan in the country and Dallas is the heart of it. And like things are, things are happening here in Dallas. It's an exciting time to be here. So that's a, uh, do you, how, how do you, how do you handle things just kind of, you know, um, I'm trying to figure out a way to ask. I don't mean this in anything approaching an accusatory fashion, uh, but I am curious about it. So I'm trying to figure out the right way to phrase this. I'm I'm, I'm a little bit. I'm well, just how do you? Right I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> how do you show? Like, how do you get you know other people involved? Like, is there some? Is there any reaction by people to be like, you know, well, you don't really have skin in the game. You're you're recently arrived. You're a, you're you're a carpetbagger. Yeah, um, no, I'm 100% a carpetbagger. There's no question about it. Um, my dad claims to be a native Texan, but uh, he lived here for he lived in San Antonio for four years before he moved to Ohio. Like, how uh, do you so convince like, people yeah. that you really care about things going on here? Whenever like here only became a place yeah. in your head seven months ago. Well, so yeah, I mean that was that was a struggle um, when I first started getting into activism um, because and and honestly, like one one problem that I had was. Uh, you know, it lists uh, one of my, uh, the universities I attended was uh, the, the State University of St. Petersburg. So um, I had some people saying that I was a Russian spy, um, <laughs> uh, which I'm not. I'd like to, to say that on the record, I am, I am okay, not that a was Russian my next spy. Question. Um, yeah, um, so like, I think he just said he's a Russian spy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, I yeah, no, What I, does that mean to the sleeper cell you were speaking to? Um, I, I'd say like, please, uh, please send additional support. Uh, they, sure. they know, they know about me. No, <laughs> I, so I, so, you know, like, cause you're new, you know, you don't know, but I, I think that, you know, this is work that has to be done. And like, I'm, I'm trying to do what I can to do my part. And honestly, like if, if if people like if I I'd, I'd heard from people that they they thought I needed to to wait you know wait in line then I I probably would but like right now like the work has to be done so and and right now like in Dallas County there's a lot of great things that we can point to um, but one problem we have is that you know there are a lot of a lot of the reps who voted for uh, SB four for example came from Dallas County. You know, it's people like Jason Vialba, it's people like Morgan Meyer, like these reps, they represent Dallas County. And, you know, you have Victoria, you have Rafael and she, you have some great reps up here, but this is a county that should not have people from here voting for bills like SB4. No, and, and, so, if, and if you hear Jason talk about it, you can't get a clear answer as to why he supports it. I mean, he, he 
frankly should be embarrassed. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't. Um, state politics is something is one of the many, many topics I would love to know more about than I currently do. Um, so I am no expert on Jason Vialba, but like also the things he has said about the police and fire pension um, tend to seem to be not that closely based in fact and are more emotional appeals that right. would sound good. Um, so I've got I mean, my eye on I him. I think his clearest answer as to why he supports SB4 is that his children may be subject to the law and he's okay with it. That doesn't, that doesn't get me very far, that's right? But that's, 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 I think, uh, you know, the clearest argument I heard from him. So, uh, I don't know exactly how you thought this entire thing would go. I don't know if I've like, uh, monopolized it too much by asking too many questions. I didn't know if you had any inquiries you wanted answered. Um, so my, uh, my doing all right. Did you have anything that you wanted to ask or, <laughs> um, no, I, I thought, I think that, uh, you know, I, I originally started listening to your show um, because you had uh, some interviews on with uh, with Philip Kingston, and um, you know, I there's a there's an element to politics can be really frustrating because you know you you listen to the Sunday morning shows, you know, you you sit down and you watch uh, Face the Nation, and people get on there and they just 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 sound bites, you know, it's just the same stuff, and um, I really liked your episode because you know with Kingston. Like you get what you paid for. Like he just comes out and says exactly what's on his mind. Um, and so I guess like from your perspective, like in the city politics, like um, cause you, cause you've been like following Dallas city politics for a while, right? I mean, like I've been reading about it as something I'm interested in for a long time, but you know, I don't want to overrepresent my like expertise. I just, you know, will occasionally click on the local section of the morning news, which I think like kind of qualifies me to be an expert compared to the <laughs> rest of the population, but you know. So what um well I guess that's a good question. What's the uh what made you want to start a Dallas City politics podcast? I mean, there's a lot of tiny steps in between uh here and there. Um like I, I would say this all started just because the the station I work at, the ticket, they do uh, two segments that are focused on like news topics and or three now, but two whenever I was, uh, you know, first starting to listen, and um, they would focus like you know if there was something happening of interest locally, then that's like what they would talk about, um, and so those stories were always interesting to me. So then like you know sometimes I would feel like uh, I I think that it's uh, an open secret among anyone who listens to the ticket that Corby doesn't like uh, research that closely and sometimes leaves out important details. Uh, I don't think I don't think he'd even be upset at me saying that. I think he'd just kind of shrug and be like, "Well, yeah, it's on brand," and it is. He's right. Um, so you know, I, I would get more interested in trying to dig in and figure out some you know other things as myself. So I started reading about it more, and then whenever I'm reading about it more, and you know. Uh, Philip Kingston's giving interesting quotes. I started following him on Twitter and there's more interesting stuff there. And he listens to the station. Um, so he was willing to uh, come on to the other podcast I do a couple times. And we would also bring up topics and just have discussions between me and my partner, Jake, uh, about uh, the uh, you know stuff that we've been reading about, about local issues. And that was 
always the stuff that got like the best response. Like that, you know, I, I think that whenever we discuss a national issue, um, people would be like kind of interested, but it's something that they could probably hear a lot of other people who are more intelligent than us and know a lot more about it, talk about it. Um, but whenever it comes to a local issue, like we're as good as you're going to get, uh, sorry, we apologize. <laughs> um, and so because we would always get that positive response, it was something that certainly like stood out in my head as like, this is a market that's not really being served. It's one I'm very interested in serving. Um, this would be really fun. And it was so easy to uh, book fill the couple times that we did that I was hopeful that that is how it would go with other people of that ilk. Like, I don't think that every council member is being just barraged endlessly with media requests. No, um, that's true. Yeah, I think that whenever I send them, it's probably like the only one they get that week. And that has not led to all of them like universally saying yes, but, uh, you know, I, I think I have more success with it than like if I was asking, you know, members of Congress. So, um, you know, it's, uh, this is the most that someone of my limited expertise and in intelligence can do. So I, I, I want to do it. And I just, I do think that having watched city government, um, and, you know, listening to the, uh, the council agenda meetings and everything, I'm pretty convinced that what do the citizens think about this is not the first question that a lot of the council members ask themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're probably, that it's not because they hate the citizens or because they don't care about them. It's because they're thinking rationally about what their incentives are. And there is not, a strong demonstration from the citizens that they care about it. Uh, you know, like the voter turnout is very low. Um, and the res I, I don't think that they get like huge response, like the kind of response that you're trying to generate whenever someone, you know, supports a Trump hotel or tries to pass SB4, the sort of thing where you, you, people are letting them know what they think about something like that. I know that council people certainly get, um, emails and responses and stuff about like, you know, if someone's house is going to be affected. I, I know that they talk to their constituents plenty. I'm not trying to say they don't. Right. Um, but you know, like, like I've, I've been like, they'll, whenever they're uh, doing the budget for the year, they'll go around and, you know, hold meetings um, to talk about people in each part of the city. Like, what do you want to see the budget look like? And like, you know, I've been to the ones for here and it's like, you know, me and, 15 other people who really care about, you know, and like the, it, it's it, whenever you show up to like a room and the room is like a quarter full, then like the main thing that your citizens want to let you know is that they don't really care what you do with that money. And I think that's, what's been communicated for a long time. <laughs> yeah. And, and so to whatever small degree a podcast that attempts to make those things interesting and accessible can have an impact on people caring. Cause I, I think that our city leaders would act way differently and way better if uh, if they thought that every vote they were making was being scrutinized and wouldn't have a, you know, reaction to it. And that, I mean, honestly, that's something that, you know, when I first started learning more about Philip, that's a reason why I supported him was because he, um, he led the charge for, uh, for, you know, real transparency, you know, releasing the, uh, the agenda in a, in a way for each council meeting that's really clear and also releasing the votes immediately after uh, they're taken. Um, and he and he has got to have done as someone who likes going to like the video portal of the city of Dallas website. They've done an amazing job with getting that way yeah, better. It's I mean that's that's the problem. Like they they have to 
post all these things, but in a lot of cities, they post them in the most difficult to find ways. They're, they have these Byzantine websites that are really poorly managed, so they might not have the information up. And they might just post it, you know, at City Hall, like all this stuff. So you have to really look for it. In Dallas, we actually are a lot better off than most uh, most cities uh, than just because we actually have like easy access to all that information. And to to tie in um, what I was saying about constituents, I do think like that it's not a mistake that the District 14 council person is Philip and that he acts like he does. Like yeah. I I think that that's the most engaged part of our city. Um, so, you know, like, like I was saying, like, like I'm talking about that all, all these people are like, they're not bad people, the people on the council, they're not bad people, they're not dumb people. Um, and they're just responding to their incentives. And he's been given strong incentives to act the way he does, caring about neighborhoods and caring about transparency and accessibility. Um, and if everyone across the city created those incentives for their council people. I think that that's how they'd act too. So, you know, let's try and do it. And I think that's what the indivisible groups are, are, are trying to do ultimately, right? To show up, sure. offer accountability and, and to incentivize the elected officials to, to act and, you know, like Philip. Yeah. Yeah. No, no I think yeah. that's what's cool about the group. And that, I mean, that's honestly, when you look at SB4, that's a good example of the wrong incentives um, motivating our legislators because you know, first of all, it was brought to the, the House floor because um, Speaker Joe Strauss, I mean, I, I think Speaker Joe Strauss had used all of his energy, all of his political capital to fight SB6, which is the bathroom bill. Um, and right now, the Republicans are more afraid of prim- their primary um, than they are of the general election in a lot of places. So, yeah, and I mean, that, that's motivated what you're talking about, about like uh, one party states. That's the drawback. Yeah. But, um, you know, like, here in Dallas, we we're fortunate ultimately because we do have uh, a lot of leaders that are willing to take the politically unpopular stance, but do what's right, um, and that's what makes me optimistic about the future. That's why part of the reason why I'm here because, like the 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 Chicago city government is pretty hopeless, honestly. But in Dallas, like you have seen real change. It's less entrenched. Exactly, exactly. Like there are there are interests there. They're pushing back on all reforms, but the people who want to make things happen, like they can, they can do it. Um, and especially with all of this groundswell of new energy coming into the city, um, people actually paying attention to city politics. I mean, the two of us are great examples. We were down at the library today with Kingston signs, um, greeting people at the polls, um, on an afternoon, like, you know, it's Amanda's day off and she went out to the library for a couple hours and like, you know, stood there with a sign and greeted people. Like that's something that was not happening. Um, you know, a couple of years ago. You're a recent Dallas resident. Did you, uh, have you, have you been in yet to see the copy of the Declaration of Independence we have? I've not seen that. Oh, it's awesome. You're down at the library. You got to. Okay. It's, it's at the library. Yeah. Okay. Um, got to remember that. In uh, like the 80s, the, one of the, a bookstore in Philadelphia that had been in operation since the time they drafted the Declaration, Declaration of Independence went out of business and whenever they were like moving around boxes, like getting everything out of there, they discovered like one of the copies that was like in the first run. Like it was, it was printed before July 4th, 1776. Um, And their decision of what to do with it was just like, Oh, I guess we'll auction it off. And a group of Dallas businessmen, businessmen really felt like it could raise the profile of our city nationally. If we had an original copy of the declaration of independence and 
I don't think that anyone besides me knows or cares that it's there. Um, <laughs> like it, their their efforts did not really pay off in the long term. I don't think that people from Phoenix go, well, that Dallas, there's Super America because they've got that copy down at the library. But it is there and it's pretty awesome. Well, next time I'm down there and I'll probably be down there tomorrow morning, um, I'm going to stop in and see it. All right. Where is it? Is it in, on the first floor? Uh, no, I think it's on the fifth. I could be wrong. I'm sure they'll tell you. All the important you. stuff's on the fifth floor. <laughs> the people at the library know. Okay, so it's an easy thing to find. Um, well, you know, Dizzy, I really appreciate you having on the show today. That yeah. This was something that I've, ever since I found out about your podcast, I've been really intrigued to find out like who who the man behind this is. <laughs> and I'm glad that we had this opportunity because... Uh, yeah, it's it's glad I'm you know anytime that I find out somebody like somebody else is really trying to dig in to city politics, um, I get excited because there's there aren't enough of us. That feeling is definitely mutual. Thanks for having me on your podcast. <laughs> if um, I think if, if you want to find out more about Indivisible DFW, uh, just look up our page on Facebook. That's the best place to start. You can find events and things that are happening in the next couple weeks. Um, and Amanda. What about Lawyers for America? Lawyers for America, you can check out. We have a website, lawyersforamerica.com, or the Facebook page. You can also look for us on Twitter. Well, here at Just TC Fleming, uh, we don't have any organized anything. I have no suggestions for you. Well, you have a podcast that you should shout out. Well, yeah, yeah. All politics is local. Uh, Search for it. It's on the Blowout Podcast Network. That's not like a politically minded organization that's just me and my friends trying to get rich so you know support that too we also want that to happen so <laughs> and if you're listening in the uh um all politics is local feed then indivisible dfw podcast all one word you go check it out